Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from Equity, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to acknowledge that like all of you, we're working amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Most importantly, we hope you're safe. And we thank all the staff and volunteers in doctor's offices, hospitals, nursing homes, and, and through all the rest of the healthcare system. The pandemic also means that we're practicing our own social distancing. And like a lot of the podcasts you might be listening to, we're recording from our various homes. You might hear some unexpected background noise, you know, especially if my toddler feels like he has something to contribute. That's just a benefit of how we're all functioning these days. Today, we have a special episode produced with our colleagues in ECRI's Partnership for Health IT Patient Safety. The partnership is working with EHRA to explore how health IT can help integrate behavioral health and primary care. Many Americans with behavioral health conditions receive their behavioral care from their primary care providers. In fact, we estimate that one in five primary care visits includes behavioral health indications. On top of that, nearly 30% of adults with chronic diseases have behavioral health needs as well. And yet, only about a third of patients with behavioral health conditions report receiving the care that they need. So we'll talk about why this integration is so important and what the collaboration between ECRI and EHRA hopes to accomplish. To get us started, I'll ask our two guests to introduce themselves. Thank you, Paul. Hi, my name is David Butchaferro. I'm Senior Advisor at Foothold Technology. I came to Foothold Technology after a 30-year career at the New York State Office of Mental Health. I'm also the co-chair of this project with Patty, and I sit on the Executive Committee of the EHRA. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining today. My name is Patty Jafrida. I am a patient safety analyst and health information technology liaison for the Partnership for Health IT Patient Safety. I am the co-chair with David for this particular work group that we'll be discussing today. Before we get into the health IT aspects of this issue, uh, Patty, can you talk a little bit about what we mean when we say the integration of behavioral health and primary care, right? So I know they're handled by, by different specialties, but why do they need to be integrated? So Paul, primary care is really the gateway to the behavioral health system. Uh, primary, there are, there's a shortage of behavioral health uh, care providers and uh, primary care providers are needing support and resources to be able to handle the behavioral health care needs of their patients. Um, oftentimes, patients are managed in the behavior, in the primary care setting where they come in and they have mild or moderate depression and the primary care provider treats that patient successfully. There's other models where um, primary care and behavioral health need to communicate, and these are the integrated models. There's three different models that they talk about. There's a coordinated care where you have primary care and a behavioral health care specialist that both see the patient and they communicate back and forth. This may be a minimal collaboration or maybe even more collaboration depending on the patient and the particular care providers. There's also the co-located model, and this model, they can range from collaboration on site 
or collaboration offsite. They may be on the same system. Um, these providers may be in the same facility, but not necessarily in the same office. The last uh, model would be the integrated care model, and that requires a complete practice change. That's where these providers are in the same facility, they're on the same system, and they may share some or all of the same practice space. Um, and this is a, an, a collaboration where the providers function as an integrated team. The co-located care uh, model can accomplish this also with full collaboration of the team. David, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I, just, I would just add a little bit to the beginning piece there, Patty. And I think just to give a little example of the coordinated care approach, maybe the, for those folks that are involved in the health home, um, care model, that's a really good example of a coordinated care model where there's an individual that's trying to jointly bring those two care models together for the better treatment of that individual. And in a co-located care model, you, you may see this in, in an oncology practice, for example, where there's a social worker or a psychologist that's working directly out of that that same office and maybe working together. Um, I think the only thing I would also add to that, and it's really goes down to the to the basis of this, where where there's really a true belief that separate physical and behavioral health systems have often led to like a fragmented care delivery, and those that fragmented care has resulted in really poor health outcomes, higher health costs and oftentimes duplication of services that take place. Well, you know, that's a really good lead into sort of what my next question was, which is, you know, if, I, if I'm a, a patient who has behavioral health needs um, and my behavioral care and my physical health care are not well integrated, you know, what are some, some other examples of how that's going to affect me as a patient? You mentioned, you know, duplication of services. What, uh, you know, do we have any sort of very specific examples where we might be able to say, boy, these two, these two lines of care poorly integrated led to some bad outcomes. It's fairly well known that individuals with mental illness and substance use disorders often have higher rates of chronic physical conditions, poor social outcomes such as homelessness, unemployment, and have an, have an early mortality. The age of mortality is significantly lower for individuals that have co-occurring disorders than, than those with just primary care issues. I think in, informed by a growing set of evidence, the, the physical and behavioral health integration can improve health outcomes and quality of life, as well as reduce healthcare costs for this population. Many states are supporting new partnerships between physical and health plans, and providers are really working to to increase that level of integrated care using the different models that Patty had had identified earlier. And you know, David, you mentioned that you know folks with with behavioral health needs may be more likely to have other kinds of of chronic care needs, you know, physical chronic care needs. And I'm just thinking, you know, we're talking about the integration of behavioral health and primary care. But if they've got other chronic care needs, they're probably seeing, you know, other specialists. They, they might be seeing somebody to help with their diabetes or their hypertension or, or whatever. Does that add another layer of complication? Because now I've got, you know, multiple other specialists 
who we're trying to coordinate the care of. Yes, it definitely complicates care. It complicates care for both the primary care practitioner and the behavioral health care practitioners. One thing that comes immediately to mind is the medication and the potential that your medication may be adversely affected if those systems aren't communicating with each other and are not necessarily aware of the reasons why somebody may be on a medication or even what medication they're taking. And so the communication and integration between all providers of service to that individual becomes critical. You know, one piece that really jumps to mind for me is the world of diabetes. Many people with behavioral health issues also suffer from diabetes, whether it be because of um, poor eating habits or not having access to the right levels of food. Um, and that creates significant issues in treating an individual, as you would expect, both in the primary care and the behavioral health field. So, I, you know, from everything that you're both saying, it seems to me as a layperson that integration is a pretty good idea. Um, what are some of the barriers to accomplishing that? So, Paul, I think that the first thing that we've talked about is that there is a shortage of behavioral health care providers. Another important thing is the, the transmission of the data or the patient information. And as David mentioned, the medications. Just think about this. If the providers don't have access to the same medication record, this sets up a patient safety issue. So we need to be able to share that information easily and in a timely manner. Providers or the, the right people need that information in real time. The electronic health record has the ability to hold a, a vast amount of data, but often the transmission of that or the access to it is where, we, where the problem lies. So this is where we can use technology to improve the access um, through shared systems or with the ability to easily transmit that data in real time to the right people. Another thing, and David may want to speak to this, is um, we come up with against the, the HIPAA and the Privacy Acts. So I don't know if David, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Y yes, I, I, I will. You know, the, the Privacy Acts, whether they were the creator or whether they became in existence because of this idea that there's really traditional silos of care with it for individuals with behavioral health services, not only within primary care and behavioral health, but also within their own systems. You know, it's driven very much by stigma, traditional regulatory co-location rules that, that took place, rules around same-day billing that were in place. But they were all driven sort of by this idea around that, that information not being shared. And although that's, I fully agree with the idea of information being the individual's right to not have shared. I think because of certain rules like 42 CFR part two, much of the very critical information that could have gone towards integrating care had not been able to be shared. As you may know, that is part of the new stimulus package. It's part of the CARES Act that just passed. 42 CFR will be treated much more like 
HIPAA will, and I'm hoping that that's going to be an, an incentive now for the sharing of this information. But that stigma and the fear of what was going to happen to my data has really driven part of this separation of care, as Patty has talked about. So obviously, we're, we're doing this podcast in the context of the partnership and the work group. So let's talk a little bit about health IT specifically. Um, you know, where do we see the role of health IT, uh, you know, particularly the electronic health records, in helping to overcome these barriers that we've talked about? I, I can see health IT creating an environment of clinical decision support by providing clinicians and administrators real-time information that's going to be easily accessible to the right person. Oftentimes, this data sits in organization and is not shared with those people that need to make clinical decisions or with those people that are deciding on the approach to care or services that an organization's going to be providing. I'd also say that it's not wrong to say that behavioral health providers have adopted the importance of health information technology at a slower rate than physical health and many other specialty practices. There are reasons behind this, and many of them are very legitimate reasons. Originally, the Meaningful Use Program, as we knew it, only included medical type types of behavioral health professionals, for example, psychiatrists, but it didn't include the largest portion of the behavioral health practitioner world, which really is around the social workers, psychologists, and rehabilitation support people. If you couple that with the lack of a defined data set that we find in, in many of the areas, privacy concerns, we discussed a, a minute ago about 42 CFR, clinical support and analytical benchmarks that don't exist in the same way in behavioral health as they do in primary care. And you have a specialty without finances or a clear clinical benefit. It, it was hard for the behavioral health community to jump on board for um, at that point in time. So this has changed and hopefully will change more. You know, there were funds identified in the Opioid Support Act to try to modernize the behavioral health IT capacity. It's not to say that there's not some very sophisticated behavioral health organizations already in existence. And it's not to say that there's many individuals like social workers and psychologists that are using um, health IT as, as a very powerful tool in their practice. It's just that as a complete system, we really need to put more money or more effort into the behavioral high, health IT capacity so this integration could happen. Are there things that, um, you know, that the behavioral health world, the primary care world together are already doing well with health IT to, to try to overcome some of these issues? Well, I think as David had said, some of the some of these practices are using very sophisticated electronic health record systems that do have the ability to use clinical decision support and documentation um, that's clear and available to users. I really think that the struggle comes when we do try to share that information either within systems or across systems. And I think that's where the improvement needs to be to make this, um, to make these patient records 
more accessible and easily shareable between primary care and behavioral health care. I agree fully, Patty, and I, and I think this there's many examples of there being data sets that are out there that are oftentimes um, formulated at the EHR level or at a um, pharmacy level or at a lab level that because of standardization issues or some other type of barrier, this level of interoperability just doesn't take place. We know that we know that even within state systems and federal systems, they all they oftentimes can't even accept certain pieces of information electronically or through interoperability. And so working towards a standardized set of acceptable standards um, and ensuring that all providers at all levels have that have the ability to share information in the best possible interoperable manner is really critical in in achieving as patty had said this ability to improve care so you know obviously we're the impetus for our conversation today is the the collaboration and the work group that we have together with ehra and the partnership for health it patient safety at ecri and and patty and david you you are co-chairing that work group so um you know, Patty, what do we think that we can get out of this collaboration, out of this work group, to help address these challenges that we've talked about? So, David, this is our second work group um, with EHRA. We had work, we have published in 2019 the work from our opioid um, safe prescribing work group, and we were very successful with that, and we're, we're grateful that we're able to do a second work group. Um, what what we bring together is that EHRA is an association that has developers. Um, they are able to market and support EHRs. They have a wide area of expertise that we can draw from. And they are a dedicated and passionate group that willingly participate in our work groups. Um, drawing from their membership, they work really well with the partnership, and we on our side can provide the administrative abilities, the safety expertise, um, the evidence-based knowledge, and the data to help address the, the topic that we're discussing. Yeah, I would, I would agree fully with that, Patty. I, I would add that for many of our members in the EHRA, having dedicated safety officers that are able to keep up with all the ever-changing rules and regulations and, and approaches is not possible. So ECRI's association with us brings, for, brings that ability forward for us where we, we really are hearing from some of the safety experts. And although many of our companies do have pretty sophisticated safety pieces built within their, built into their organization. This partnership really does create um, the opportunity for a great exchange and almost a learning collaborative model of, of both sides learning from each other. I, 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 what I'm hoping for is, is that working together, we're going to be able to provide clarity to these issues that we've addressed and create a framework that could be used to guide EHR development, to be able to inform states of the issues that exist, to provide a playbook for clinicians on maximizing the use 
of data in an integrated care model and, and to do so in a, in a manner that is easily implementable across the system. I agree, David. And I think that, you know, in this time of the pandemic, that we see how important behavioral health is, and particularly telehealth. So if we can provide, if we can provide some clarity, as you said, and recommend some standards and safety practices that can better support those um, that are working in the area of behavioral health and primary care, that would be our greatest accomplishment. So with those goals in mind for the work group, what are our priority areas of focus? Where do we see that we're really going to um, spend, we think, the bulk of our attention? So our overarching goal um, is to craft and consider recommendations to facilitate integration. And as David said, we would like to develop a playbook or a toolkit or something that um, vendors and providers could use to improve integration of care. Um, we have three areas of focus that we've identified uh, in this work group. And one is screening. You know, one way we can do this is by screening uh, tools, embedding them in the EHR, and um, that can be completed by the patient or the staff or the clinician. One thing that you always want to keep in mind when you recommend things is that you don't want to provide or increase the burden of providers. And we've heard a lot about provider burden. So we want to do things that will simplify this and automate this. We also want to consider a clinical decision support, as David had said, and how we can use this to improve and better identify and manage patients and to maybe incorporate predictive models and algorithms to better screen our patients for depression so that we're not asking the same patient every time they come into the office if um, to fill out the depression screening, but only using it when it's appropriate or if there's risk factors present in their history. Another uh, area of focus that we're talking about is documentation. And this kind of flows right into our third, our, our third area of focus, which will be sharing. It's important that we document in a standard format. And David um, alluded to that a little bit with, you know, we need to have standard terminologies that can be easily transferable or transmitted to other providers and into other systems. And that would be the sharing piece of it. So the sharing is so important because we need better communication between the providers and the healthcare, um, the behavioral healthcare providers. So that's what, um, that's, what our, that's what our goal is, to look at those three pieces, the screening, the documentation, and the sharing to eventually integrate the behavioral health care with the primary care. Yeah, I, that's very well said, Patty. I, I, I look at this almost from um, three specific areas, and, and Patty touched upon them perfectly. For me, it's recognition of the importance for patient safety of the systems working together. It's creating some kind of standardized language that both sides understand what the other is saying. And it's being able to share that information with each other in a way that is usable and accessible for people. This partnership has been a great example of how two different parts of the, of the healthcare world can come together. That of the technology world of the Electronic Health Record Association and the, and the work that the health IT patient safety 
group does and how that partnership has really been able to generate products, ideas, and really changes in practice at organizations for the betterment of patient safety? So, you know, the way I always like to wrap up our conversations are by identifying something that people can do today, this afternoon. Obviously, the work group, the work group is going to do, you know, make its recommendations, do a lot of, of work to get there. Um, but there are behavioral health practices, there are primary care practices uh, this afternoon who may say, yeah, you know what, I can, I can do something to help with this now. What are a couple first steps that people can take even while we wait for, for some of the outcomes of this work group? I think individuals could, or practices could really review current practices and screening for behavioral health issues to ensure that systems have the capacity to obtain that valuable behavioral health information, to really understand the social determinants of health and how behavioral health and primary care along with social service type organizations can address these issues. I think for behavioral health providers, I'd say that they also could start to work to understand their, their own capacity and their ability to obtain physical health information, connect with health information exchanges. If they've not already been connected, but if they are, how they can start to use that data to really work on training staff as to the importance of one's physical health and primary care and, and how that affects the behavioral health of an individual and vice versa. If I could just take it from the technology piece, I think I would say that you need to make sure that you're using its, your EHR to its full potential because there may be capabilities in there that your organization or your practice is not aware of. So it's always good to touch base with your vendor about that. And then you also want to make sure that any... Um, technology-based practice that you put in place or process that the staff is not doing a workaround because it's too difficult. You want to make sure that you're not duplicating efforts or making more work. So I think that they would be my suggestions from a technology standpoint. Yeah, I think that's really a great point, Patty, because I think for all organizations now, they really have to look to make sure that whatever systems they're using that they're able to talk to each other and talk to others because it's it's obvious the critical nature of being able to do that i thank you for that that's a great point so you know one last thing before we wrap up is uh, obviously the work group came into existence long before we were you know in the throes of a global pandemic and david i wonder if you could just discuss briefly how you think that the situation that we're all living with today you know, emphasizes the importance of the work that the work group is doing and, and the importance of the integration between primary care and behavioral health. I think the COVID-19 pandemic is bringing to light a number of issues around the information exchange abilities of many providers. I think, however, that one thing that we have to be very concerned with and really does affect patient safety is hopefully when this is all over soon, we are going to be left with a large number of individuals that are, that are going to be having underlying behavioral health issues, whether those issues are PTSD, whether it's anxiety issues, whether it's isolation issues, whatever those issues may be, 
our two systems, the primary care system and the behavioral health system, are going to have to be able to work together to ensure patient safety. They're going to have to figure a way that screenings, as Patty took place, can happen at that primary care setting and how that information can, can be used to put somebody in the right level of behavioral health services that they need. And I want to make sure and I'm hoping that we can get to a point prior to when this is going to be reaching a critical level that we're ready to do that because I, I, I think we know the disaster that we, we face right now with the pandemic. And I'm worried that without this level of integration and without this ability for the two systems to be working together, that we're going to have a whole nother level of crisis on our hands. And that being with individuals having behavioral health issues is a result of what's taking place today. David, Patty, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about how ECRI can help from our website at www.ecri.org, where you'll find past implementation guides, toolkits, and more produced by the Partnership for Health IT Patient Safety. You can find current news, blogs, and tools and resources from the EHRA website as well at www.ehra.org. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Please visit us at ecri.org podcasts or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.